All righty. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Zeus with Bruce. I, I believe this is episode number seven. And today we have an incredible guest, Elon Bass. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thanks. Lucky number seven, eh, Bruce? Lucky number seven. I mean, <laughs> I, I timed it specifically for you to be on. That was I mean, <laughs> seven. I said, okay, hold on. Let me get Elon now. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Where do um where do we find where do we find you right now? Where where in the world are you? You're a traveler. Uh, well, first of all, I, I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? You know, it's always polite to polite <laughs> yes, to yes. ask. Yes, yeah, you get you get. Oh man, um yeah, me and you connect on a very deep level. So yeah, some yeah. some some of that we did in the mind. But yes, uh, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> things are going well, man. Just woke up from a little nap and had some pizza, which nice. was delicious. And I know you just wrapped up dinner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're we're both full and ready to go. Yes, absolutely. So <clears throat> it's um yeah, it's 9:30 here. Basically, I'm in the UK. Um I'm actually in a city called Brighton. Uh full name is Brighton and Hove. Um I think it became a city several years ago and merged those kind of two little areas together. Um and actually so the city now encompasses a a wider little uh you know uh, area. So actually my sister lives here and I'm actually living with my sister right now because I've only moved back to the UK like two months ago. Um so yeah, that's that's a long answer to your very basic first question. No, for sure. And well now let's get a little bit more backstory. So of course a little more on the story of, of your life a little bit, like how you got to kind of where you're at now and and I know the past well, I think since really, maybe since COVID was going on, that you were moving a lot. You were, there was a lot of movement in your life. Uh, so maybe just a little bit of backstory, just where, where your background begins, what's the origins mm -hmm. of, of your story and having it lead up to today. Okay. Okay. So basically, um, I'm from London. I consider myself from London uh, because I grew up there. My parents are both from London. But actually, I was born in Israel, as I think you know. Um, and uh, my parents were living in Israel. Um, they moved there just before I was born. I think actually the idea was that I, you know, they moved there so that I, I would be born there. Um, but they didn't actually end up staying too long, maybe about around two or so years. And so I was actually uh, less than two years old uh, when my family came back to London. So I, I grew up in London from like the age of a baby to, uh, you know, I did my uh, undergrad in, in Sheffield, University of Sheffield, um, at the age of uh, 19 after taking a gap year. Um, and then um, let's see. So yeah, so essentially, I did all of my schooling in in the UK, and then I came back to London after graduating. Worked for a bank for a few years, an American bank actually, Bank of New York, as it was known back then. It's now BNY Mellon of um, more recent Hamilton fame. Mm. Uh, I like mm. to tell people that I I knew who Alexander Hamilton was Ooh. probably before most people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's my claim to fame. Um, so um, I worked for the bank and I did that for about three years. So I graduated 2005, and that took me up to the time of the financial crisis in, in 2008. Mm. And so because I did um, East Asian studies for my undergrad, and there, there is a story there because I, I enrolled to do economics and ended up switching my major, um, I when I when the financial crisis happened, I decided to move to Beijing in the People's Republic of China, um, just to sort of like, you know, build on my undergraduate studies. And I really wanted to learn Mandarin and have that experience of living abroad um, for a few years. So I did that 
over four years, um, and um, so I moved. I moved there in early 2009, and uh, I was at first teaching English. Um, of course, some Mandarin study. I also ended up finding a job working for the UK government at the um, British Embassy in Beijing for a couple of years. Had a couple of roles there that were really interesting. Um, and at that point, I sort of made the decision to go and do a master's degree in uh, Israel. And I only applied to for one program. It was, as you as you well know, the uh, the um, uh, uh, master's in conflict resolution and mediation at Tel Aviv University. And so I was um, enrolled in two thousand. 2013 um, and graduated 2014. Um, I lived in Israel for a few years, did a little bit of peace building work while I was there, you know, kind of tried to, you know, get involved in some things going on with the Chinese community in Israel, uh, met a lot of really great people on the program and in Israel and, and Palestine and, and the wider uh, Middle East, North Africa region while I was doing the, some peace building work, which was really, you know, meaningful for me. It's kind of like, you know, Part of the reason why I decided to go and, and have that experience um, in Israel um, and kind of, you know, learn about the country that I was born in and that, you know, my dad was really passionate about. Um, I left Israel after a few years, just kind of really struggled to like find, you know, enough sort of, you know, paid, you know, work in, in conflict resolution. And I was just lucky in that I uh, found quite a good job back in Beijing in, uh, I left in early two, uh, yeah, 2017. I did that for a year. That was at the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. And then basically, you know, I came back to the UK and I was actually living, I came to live with my sister at that time as well, also in Brighton. She was, she was still uh, she was there then. Um, and she, I think she actually made the suggestion to me. She was like, <clears throat> um, you know, why don't you do some volunteer work in the community? Um, so, uh, I typed in mediation Brighton into Google and I found a community mediation organization and started mm. doing some, some mediation work in the community. Um, I was in the UK for about six months looking for a job and I, you know, couldn't really find anything that sort of I was interested in back here. Somehow I found a job um, back in China again. So it was a third time I went to China in Shanghai that time. I was actually working for an Israeli founded company that helped um, international companies to sort of sell their products and services in, in China. Um, so sort of like lots of different sort of outsource services to help, uh, you know, small and medium sized enterprises to to move out to the uh, to, to China. Um I was there for a year. I quit my job at the end of 2019. I was about to accept a new job in Shanghai doing similar sorts of things for a British company. And they gave me the offer letter and they said that the uh, the, the contract would come after, uh, after the Chinese New Year in early mm. 2020. And mm. of course, because of the pandemic, uh, I wasn't able to accept that offer. It was actually a, a pretty crazy story. Um, so I went on a little holiday to Hong Kong and Taiwan just over Chinese New Year or the Spring Festival as uh, it's known in, in that part of the world. And um, I, I flew to Hong Kong on the day that Hubei province, which is the the province that Wuhan is the capital of. So I think mm. many people might be familiar with the city of Wuhan for, for you know, um, but uh, I flew to Hong Kong that day. I think it was 21st of Jan 2020, and uh, it was pretty kind of scary time to be uh, to be flying. Um, of course, everybody in Europe, you know, had no idea what was coming, and um, went on to Taiwan. 
and then basically um i was with my uh, partner um uh, christina and um you know she uh stayed on she went to Shanghai to Israeli passport and also a suitcase uh, for you know for Christina and also some of the things for myself as well because we kind of mm. had the feeling that this was going to be something that could you know it, you know develop into something and so basically as I sort of didn't say earlier the, um, we were heading to Israel uh, so that I could go and uh, deliver the mediation workshop at uh, Tel Aviv University or help deliver with the rest of the, the training team. Um, and so, you know, Christine was coming with and I actually sort of so I quickly went back to Shanghai and that was a really bizarre experience, you know, just kind of seeing the streets like totally empty. Um you know, compounds closed, you know, checks, security checks coming into the compound and everything. Anyway, I don't want to get too much detail right now, um, mm. but uh, we did uh, end up going to Israel. And while we were there, the Chinese government cancelled all of the foreign nationals' visas and closed the border and said nobody's coming back because they didn't want to uh, uh, import any uh, cases of, of coronavirus. Because by, by that time, of course, by sort of mid uh, to late March, um, the virus was was then kind of spreading quite rapidly in in Israel and the Middle East and, and Europe and everywhere, basically. So we got stuck in Israel for about four months. And then uh, in the summertime, when the cases dipped, we we uh, we made a break to uh, Italy where my mum lives. Um, my mum lives in very northern Italy uh, near Lake Como, very small village, beautiful views and everything. And that was actually we we're really lucky to be able to go there. And we also got stuck there. We ended up staying for about a year. I was there. I think for a bit more than a year and um, I've literally just uh, two months ago moved back to the UK um, and so that's that's the whole story basically from birth um, um, with <laughs> from birth I like that man I mean it's, it's it's a little bit of everywhere and circumstances and switching and adapting and and just being able to be in a different setting and make the most of it and just go on the fly which uh, there's mm. a lot of resiliency there that's that's mm. impressive and then now you're now you're back in the UK and you're in the field of mediation, which which not necessarily everyone knows about. Um, uh, some people think they're mediators in their family relationships with friends and their and their business. Mm. Give us a little rundown of what that's looking like for you now. Uh, maybe if you want to just explain <clears throat> what mediation is and go from there as to how you're going about it now and what you even see the future of mediation looking like. Okay, great. So I'll split this into like two main sections. So, you know, there's like the pre-mediation and the post-mediation. Pre, you know, I I, I worked uh, for a bank in London, right, as I mentioned. Then I worked for the UK government in uh, in, in China. Um, then I was in Israel kind of doing lots of different random things, you know, a bit of peace building work. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't until I did the program that I had any idea of, of what mediation actually was and I think really I didn't have much of an idea when I chose the program it was I was just very interested in the the aspect of you know studying this 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 concept called conflict resolution uh, in Israel um, and and certainly learning about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict on a, on a deeper level I mean being born in Israel an Israeli citizen a Jewish person it was something that I felt that I had to get to know um, but you know I'm really happy to say that through doing the program I kind of you know the whole world of, of conflict resolution in a in a general sense and mediation on a more kind of specific level was opened up to me and um 
yeah, you know, I, I, I went back to the university to do some sort of mediation workshops for the new uh, cohorts of of, uh, of graduates. That's, of course, how we met Bruce. Um, and, um, you know, Amazing really experience. like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I mean, you know, really? it is. I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's literally like the highlight of my year. I love going oh. to the university. I mean, actually last year we did it via zoom, which was, you know, a challenge in itself. Um, but I love it. It's such a great experience. The whole, um, you know, training team is incredible from, you know, Brian and Susan, you know, down to all of the, um, you know, other trainers in the team, they're awesome people and they make it fun. It's, it's very kind of pressured and, and, you know, the students, expect a lot you know they expect you to kind of you know make them into mediators um you know which is it, it, as far as i'm concerned it's it's more of like a lifelong journey um the, the mediation mm. journey but anyway i was really blessed for those experiences and you know it wasn't until as i mentioned just uh, earlier that my sister said why don't you do some volunteering in the community that i found a community mediation organization in the city where i'm currently based right now in brighton that you know when i went to meet them you know, they said, what experience have you had mediating before? And I said, well, no real cases, but I have my master's degree in conflict resolution and mediation, which I did at Tel Aviv University. And they were very impressed by that. And I think the reason is, is because even though I didn't have any direct experience of mediation, I mean, I, I described the workshop to them and it's kind of very, you know, it's very sort of um, uh, intensive um, and we do a lot of role plays as, as you well know. So, you know, I think it sort of prepares the students to be just thrown into a conflict or a dispute situation and to maybe, you know, kind of get those skills out the toolkit and, and start, you know, facilitating um, dialogue and understanding between people. Um, so, uh, they they were happy for me to just start mediating cases, but because they operate a co-mediation model, they paired me up with some experienced mediators. Um, and so, yeah, actually, the point I just wanted to make there was that I think all of their mediators are come from sort of non what what you might say professional mediation background so they might be sort of like lawyers who are just trying to do you know a bit of pro bono work in in the latter stages of their career they might be you know just people in the community like potentially sort of like um you know maybe like religious um figures or you know i think basically just people who have their own profession but just are interested in mediation and do it you know, on a volunteer basis in their spare time, which I think is wonderful because I think mm. it's a great way to give back to the community. So they, you know, they, they, they didn't say that I had to go on any kind of training course. They just gave me a case with um, a really lovely lady called Sue, um, who's very experienced, you know, probably like 20 years in, in mediation experience. And um, yeah, I, from 2018, I have basically been actively mediating cases. Um, and so this kind of accelerated a lot during the pandemic because I was forced to leave um, Shanghai and, and China and, mm. you know, I wasn't able to take that job offer. I was, uh, you know, it, it was a terrible time to be looking for work, of course, because the mm. pandemic was causing problems everywhere. And, and uh, you know, kind of a, an, an extra layer on top of that was that I literally did not have any place to live. I mean, yeah, I was lucky in that I could go and, and sort of stay near my mom. Um you know, which was which was wonderful. But, you know, my my possessions were actually in Shanghai. And in the middle of 2020, um, you know, we had to actually pack up our the apartment that we lived in in Shanghai remotely via WeChat, wow, which is that's incredible. Uh, yeah, which is <laughs> like the 
the yeah i mean you know i mean we actually kind of strangely enough had the foresight to leave a set of keys with a friend in shanghai mm. and then that friend passed the keys to another friend and then that you know a couple of our friends in shanghai helped us go with the moving company through the apartment packing everything up and putting it in a warehouse in um in uh in uh, in shanghai actually the stuff was sent to uh the, the united states um where christina uh, is from and where she she lives currently and um i'm literally she's just sent it to me so i still haven't got my possessions from from shanghai Two years later uh, yeah seriously no, so but yeah. but they're coming very soon right. anyway so where was I going with that? So, okay, during the pandemic, I was working for myself and I thought, well, you know, actually it's, it's a challenging situation, but it's actually a really great opportunity because I can actually focus on what I love doing, which is which is mediation. So I literally threw myself into it. I just started networking like crazy um, on LinkedIn and, and every, just going to like every single Zoom meeting about, you know, mediation and conflict resolution. So that was really cool. And I started offering my time to to all these organizations. I uh, the organization in Brighton that you know the community cases they switched to Zoom, so I started doing some cases for them. Um, I volunteered with a university in Scotland, which uh, is a, sort of like a sort of like a training a teacher training model i don't know or like a teaching hospital kind of model i don't know what you call it um so it's it's like they do mediation cases that come from the scottish courts so they're civil cases usually mm. of like a small claims commercial kind of nature so i did a few cases for them i'm also a board member at that uh, that institution um so i i help out with you know running the the clinic they call it, it's a mediation clinic that's what they call it um and so the idea is and, and i think this is actually an, a great idea for tel aviv university as well is that the students get actual experience doing real mediation cases um, which mm -hmm. come from from the court system It'd probably be quite tricky to do in israel because you know uh you know the the students probably don't speak hebrew and so you know there's kind of issues there but still i mean there must be some cases that the students at you know tel aviv university could could work on you know cases in the community involving an english speaker or or something like that you know or you know a speaker of any kind of foreign language um what else? Um, I've recently joined Mediators Beyond Borders International and just kind of helping them out with some project work. Um, mm. um, yeah, I continue to do the workshops. Um, and, and recently, so I've, um, you know, while I was in Shanghai, actually, I, I signed a, a contract with a, a an organization in the United States called Pollack Peacebuilding Systems. Um, they do sort of mostly like workplace mediation. Um, and then more recently, I've, I've kind of... Uh, uh, you know, um, signed some agreements with uh, some quite high-profile organizations based in the UK. TCM Group, which is founded by David Little, and um, uh, UK Mediation, which is founded by um, Dr. Mike uh, Talbot. Um, and they're sort of mostly working in the workplace space. I've also recently accredited as a workplace mediator. So I did that with the TCM group. I'm waiting for my, my grades on that. So yeah, I'm really happy to say that I have a professional um, mm. workplace mediation accreditation now. Well, so man. does that answer the question? I think it kind of does. Yeah, no, for, for the most part, uh, just and, and, it's, and to get to the, the, the core of it is, mediation itself how would you explain right. that or describe just uh, like let's say the practice and uh, just yeah it's core what it is and how it's used and why is it even relevant and maybe even why everyone should really just learn the really base fundamentals of 
this mm. practice for mediation. So it's a it's you know mediation is sort of a, a, a specific tool, a process um, of uh, a neutral third party facilitating a conversation between two or more parties who are have a disagreement about something. Um, usually, for some reason, it mediators tend to get involved in disputes or conflicts quite late on in a process. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that we kind of need to change that dynamic so that mediators get involved much earlier. But yeah, mediators come in quite late. So it really depends about what context you're talking about mediation in, because it, it, it varies quite wildly. But essentially, like the main sort of uh, contexts are, you know, um, uh, you know, there's workplace uh, disputes between employees, um, and there's also employment mediation, which is probably a dispute between an employee and a company. Um, there's there's consumer disputes, and you know, if you stay in the kind of in the commercial space, you've then got kind of like pure commercial of like companies, you know, maybe taking each other to court, or at least you know having disagreements over maybe contractual issues, things like that. You've got civil cases, um, which can, as I said, can include small claims that you know go through the courts essentially you know within the civil context you've got family mediation which tends to be about married couples uh, divorcing and sort of separating and you know battles over custody of children and uh you know ownership of of of, of you know financial assets um you've got um there's community mediation which is disputes in between neighbors uh maybe also the community could include intragener uh, family intergenerational disputes so sort of disputes between let's say like parents and and children or with siblings you know that might also be considered family mediation and then of course you've got um political mediation so mediation as a that kind of process um for you know disputes of a of a p political nature could even include sort of countries at war mm. with each other so think you know the united states brokering peace between um the israelis and the and the palestinians um so and just just on this point before we move on i think the three sort of core characteristics of mediation for the listeners are it's confidential. So what is said at the mediation remains at the mediation, unless there's some caveats to that, uh, you know, sort of break, uh, if, if anything, sort of, you know, local laws, you know, protection of, of people, um, things like that. Um, then it's, um, it's a it's typically a voluntary process. Um, I mean, don't forget that it's not a sort of, it's not a, uh, it's not uniform all over the world. So for instance, in the UK, family mediation is actually, if, if you take, if you divorce and you, you take your partner to court, it's there's there's typically a mandatory mediation meeting that the judge will say you have to go to this media uh, this meeting this mediation um and then you know once you've kind of gone through that you can come back to the court. Um and then the third uh characteristic um is that it's a totally impartial process so the mediator mm. is does not take sides and also typically does not offer solutions to the dispute it is really about hearing the parties and having the parties um say how they see moving mm. forward mm. from the dispute mm. and how they see the future mm. man very well said I, even when i'm asked to explain mediation doing it in that way with the the three components and being the third party or the the neutral facilitator of sorts 
yeah, it's it's crucial to remember that. And one way I try to paint the picture is for the role of the mediator, it's sort of like, in essence, it's sort of like building a bridge that can get, at least create the infrastructure for both parties to meet in the middle or to get to the other side. What they do there, or if they want to get on, or if they want to drive over, walk over, maybe they're scared, they don't trust it. Whatever it is, it's where that sort of middle person who says, hey, here's the bridge. It's not going to provide you the solution you may want, but it's a powerfully uh, important tool to create that process to mm. begin Powerful, man. Yeah, I, I wonder what it would look like if we were taught some kind of mediation skills or even with some overlap with the conflict resolution, plus recognizing, like you said, yeah, if mediators could get involved earlier on as mm. opposed to really when it's too late. You know, it's like they say the best time to uh, fix a problem or something is before it begins. One of those, one of those mm. things. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be very helpful if, you know, kids were, would, and actually there are some peer mediation, uh, you know, teaching, uh, you know, mediation to, to children is typically known as peer mediation. And I think, you know, it's one of those weird things that you don't get taught when you're young or, you know, anywhere through your schooling, um, you know, how to how to communicate in times of, of disagreement. Oh. So. oh, man, Elon. Yeah, I mean, no, this is just so big. Uh, emotional intelligence, uh, the way the way to structure. Yeah, I mean, we're taught to write and convincing arguments, but what about practicing conversation with another, exchanging mm -hmm. ideas, listening to what they're saying, as opposed to just being ready to pounce and respond and just yeah. prove your point. And a lot of mediation, it is that active listening, the not mirroring per se, but hearing and uh, responding back in a way mm -hmm. that you acknowledge what they said was heard and that you understood it. And even any clarifying questions that, Maybe if, if I wish we learned this, man, I really do. absolutely. And and as you well know, like listening is is key. It's a key skill. Um, yeah. I think we we put too much emphasis on this world in uh, you know in in terms of speaking, but but listening yeah. really, I think, was uh, would be with the way. And and you know another kind of key skill is what we call reframing. Uh, mm. Basically, sort of like you know taking the heat out of out of people's statements so that it can be more easily received by the other side. Just just quickly while we're uh, on yeah, the please, uh, the, to the topic of career. So I've come back to the UK. My new job in London is actually not directly related to mediation. So, um, you know, I, I was actually already to, sort of I came back just to kind of like, you know, meet my nephew who's already like 16 months old. You know, my mom oh. and I ha hadn't met him yet. So so we came in early October and, you know, I was kind of expecting to sort of, you know, be gearing up on the mediation work and everything. And then just before I came back um, to, from Italy, um, you know, I, I heard about this interview with this company. Um, so basically this company, it's called Critical Eye. It's quite interesting. Um, they are sort of like a, a, a membership organization for very senior executives um, and uh, it's sort of like to help that that very senior exec like you know COO, CFO, CEO those kind of people they can be mentored by people who've kind of like you know been there and done that and had their kind of executive career maybe moved on to like a non-executive position like you know a chairperson of a board or or something and so it's just a big sort of uh, sort of peer-to-peer -peer, um, you know executive uh, boardroom kind of uh you know networking community and it's really interesting like uh 
they have an office in London and Hong Kong, and they're, you know, they're expanding in, in Asia and everything. I guess that's why they're kind of interested in me. And, you know, it's not directly related, but first of all, the networking opportunities are incredible. So I, whenever I meet everybody, of course, I tell them that I'm a mediator, right? So yeah. it's a good opportunity. Um, but of course, they're also, the members are talking about conflict all the time, conflict in the senior management team and with the board and all of that kind of stuff between the employees. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I thought it ticked quite a few boxes for me. So I was kind of happy to like sort mm. of dip, dip back into like a, you know, employed life and I'll, mm. I'll keep doing my mediation work in, in my spare time. Mm. Uh, before we move on to the next part, what is, would you say then would be something that people who, uh, or, uh, misconception people have about mediators per se, or at least for myself, what I get is, and I know this is true with a handful of other mediators is and conflict people who work to resolve conflict saying, yeah, but if you're ever in a conflict with them, they say, hey, didn't you study conflict resolution? Don't you know these things? What do you like? What's going on? And I, how, or, I don't know if you resonate with that, but what's a, maybe a misconception that you've seen? Because it's one thing to know to apply it, but also then to apply it to ourselves and to do so when you're not the neutral third party facilitator, you're the interested one of the two parties, mm. let's say, actor in this in this uh, dynamic. So, when you're invested in a relationship, it's really difficult. I would say, actually, basically impossible for you for you <laughs> oh to play man. that that mediation role you know friends and and generally in life people are always looking for advice Hmm. you know they're always looking for like you know tell me what to do in this situation Hmm. um Hmm. and you know the 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 kind of i think the counterintuitive thing about mediation is that it's not about people advising you what to do like you know like i think it's the reason why you know, people refer to it as an alternative dispute resolution process. Mm. Although I've now met people who say we should scrap that and we should call it an appropriate dispute resolution process. Um, Yeah. The kind of ADR, um, you know, um, Mm. acronym is because, um, you know, when you have a problem, you might think, okay, well, you know, somebody is, is, you know, doing something that I don't like. I need to get a lawyer involved to make them stop and, and everything. And, you know, lawyers will advise you. And of course, they're going to tell you that they you've got a strong case that they can help you to win this case. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think just that kind of fundamental uh, you know, characterization of, of, of winners and losers is, is really like it's, it's already set off on the wrong foot. So mm-hmm. people, you know, they want somebody to sort of sort a situation out for them. But mediation is is different in that the mediator isn't going to give you any advice. The mediator is just going to empower you to be able to have your voice heard. Hmm. And I think that, as I said, it's counterintuitive. Like once you actually go through that process, so you vent your frustration, and then you also go through the experience of listening to the other person that you're in conflict with and you, you naturally think is wrong and that you are right in that situation. Mm. When you listen to them vent their frustrations about what you've been doing to them, that's where the movement happens, that those transformative moments where a dispute suddenly becomes a situation that can be you know sort of handled with pragmatic solutions to move people out of their sort of 
conflict zone uh, where they, they, they feel that they're right and that the other person has wronged them and, you know, kind of like a bit of sort of like victim um, mentality. Mm. So, so mm. it's really very different from anything that people are used to. You know, people always want to look to other people for solutions. But mediation mm. is basically about looking inside yourself and feeling what is it you can do and also recognizing your responsibility for what you've done in the past. Hmm. Yeah, that's incredibly well said. And viewing it from a point where it's not necessarily zero sum and not being entrenched in your identity. And and I, I always bring this up because it's just so crucial in, in other episodes as well is the 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 desire for humans to be remain consistent with their, their identities. And when you're in any kind of conflict, you you, you can't be wrong or mm-hmm. you're totally right. Whichever one it is, yeah, there, there seems to be the the idea that you actually bunker down, uh, entrench mm. yourself more in what you're doing and have someone else solve it like a lawyer. And yeah. definitely nothing wrong with lawyers. Crucial, mm. we need them. It's sure. just before we get there, can we find a way that we can save time, money, and relationships? Three yeah. things that it's kind of hard to get back and time you never get back. Yeah. Right? So Absolutely. powerfully said, man. Yeah, that's that's yeah. spot on. I, I really, really like that. <laughs> with with being so busy, man, What's uh, what keeps you relaxed man. what keeps you uh you know you're over there traveling countries and solving this helping people solve disputes i know you're i know we shared your taste with music uh with one of the bands you liked earlier on but what's the way that you uh, are able to dive into some of your hobbies or or load up some food yeah so i mean music i would i would have to go to first i mean it's a big part of my life um actually my brother was a dj for many years i kind of tried djing a little bit when i was at at university in in sheffield um i definitely had this kind of little dj collective that we used to just hang out and you know listen to records and everything um you know clubbing is a huge part of my life not so much these days sadly in the in the covid era but i'm looking forward to going back to that um i just i love um um, you know, especially dance music, um, but sort of anything, anything with a with a with a heavy beat on it. Mm. Um, so music is is a big, big part of my life. I've been to see tons of artists, you know, like Prince and Bjork, and and um, you know, just some huge uh, musical um, talents. So really, you know, grateful for that Glastonbury Music Festival. Been to that a couple of times. Uh, amazing experience. So that yeah, that would be a big thing. You know, if now that I'm not uh, going out clubbing. To so much these days um, because getting on a little bit and also because of the because of covid um you know i listened and i always have actually listened to a lot of music online um you know i like listening to sets of djs so they'll dj for like two or three hours and they kind of take you on a journey new yeah. music old music so um i kind of i listen to a lot of sort of bbc radio uh, which i know is very sort of um cliche of, of a british person um but uh <laughs> you know That's the, all right <laughs> the BBC has great music content. Um, you know, they've got like DJs DJing for like you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every kind of musical style. Um, so I find myself um, listening uh, to my favorite DJs like Benji B, Sir David mm. Rodigan. Uh, so Benji B is kind of like eclectic, sort of like, you know, beat stuff like hip hop, drum and bass, um, you know, dubstep, um, electro, um, you know, breaks, house. And and uh, Sir David Rodigan, who's he was actually knighted by the Queen, um, is just all about island music, reggae, dancehall, lovers rock, um, you know, just uh, ska, 
you know, kind of punk, uh, that kind of stuff, like anything, mm. you know, sort of from that, like part of the world, um, like Jamaica and the islands and, and the Caribbean. Just I love all of that kind of music. And, and now I'm like, I'm really into Afro beats which is actually from mm. like sort of the continent mm. of Africa, like Ghana and, um, and places like that. So, yeah, music, big part of my life. Um, mm. You know, also quite an active person. I mean, you know, I actually went for a, a 5K run earlier today. I try and do that at least once a week. Um, a 5K really, run once a week? At least. I mean, it should, I, I, yeah, when I was in Italy, I was I was doing a lot more than that. I was doing maybe, you know, like 20, 30 or more kilometers a week. But but now it's kind of cold and I'm not really into my uh, my my running routine uh, kind of lost it a little bit um, but you know other stuff like you know I love to go hiking uh, I love playing football you know played football all my life growing up also very cliche British um, and um, you know I like cycling as well that's good fun and I try um, actually I just uh, my cork yoga mat arrived uh, today oh. um, so awesome I'm gonna time. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I was doing quite a bit of yoga um, in uh, in Italy, and I need to kind of get back into that. So, you know, a bit of yoga, like stretching, you know, breathing work, you know, I loved in when I was in Italy, just kind of like doing like a five, 10 or whatever minute uh, meditation, as the sun was going down to sort of like mm. decompress, think about, um, you know, how the day was you know mm, what you want yeah. what you want to get done you know the next day i think like people tend to think about meditation as like something that's kind of like very sort of like spiritual and and yeah. you know like but you very know himalayan you're in the mountains home <laughs> all this very stereotypical idea of it right and and it can be that for yeah, sure um but absolutely. But I think like for me, it's like, you know, when I close my eyes and breathe, I just kind of think about like what is important to me. And I think that can just sort of help you very much in like creating a to do list. You know, it's like, mm. oh, yeah, I, f mm. I forgot about that thing I have to do. So, um, yeah, definitely like closing your eyes and breathing is just is just really important. Yeah, so that's amazing. Man. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we'd say when you're when you're not uh, busting a conflict, you're busting a move on the dance floor the and you're. You're, you're busting your body to uh, uh, kind of get out of yourself, but also really feel the inner self. Uh, and, and with your saying yeah. with the uh, meditation, I've I've always struggled with the meditation. I picked up a, an exercise in the morning that I do. It's based off Tony Robbins. He calls it his mm -hmm. priming. And mm -hmm. I'm so with you, man. You just close your eyes. The breath. Wow. Mm -hmm. it, it really centers you like nothing else so important in the yeah. in this world of you know technology and constantly in and out of uh you know zoom and teams meetings it's so important to just mm. take a step back and try yeah. and let, let let your brain process things yeah and let me just close the story because we have guests coming just one second everybody all right yes um with the, the dogs downstairs okay just goes out. okay yeah no gotta take that breath and there's so much noise out there and finding, you know, it used to be the issue of access to information, but now it's more the ability to pick and choose which information. I mean, that's mm -hmm. inc incredible to have that, yeah. have that switch. Yeah. Wonderful, man. With, um, with a life with so many adventures in different countries, different professions, uh, losing, not losing, but not having your possessions uh, that you had in China, just so, all these sort of obstacles. What have you learned for yourself in in your in your life that mm -hmm. you you take away? But what's one that would be more of a, a failure? We like to say uh, mm -hmm. that really hangs on to you as kind of part of your identity, 
uh, for better or worse, but that you were able to take something away from that and learning. Be, yeah. Having been, like you're saying, countries, different professions, uh, encountering people, uh, networking and in all these areas. What's something you were you were able to think about? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this and I, I I actually genuinely don't think I could like point to something. I mean, I will talk about something, but I don't think I could point to something and say like, oh yeah, that was a huge failure. Um, you know, like yeah, it was a total failure. I just think like things happen and some things go well and some things, you know, don't go so well. And it, and mm. it's just, yeah, it's just a learning opportunity. So I, I, d- I don't mm. like to sort of like, you know, frame it as, as a failure. Mm. But the thing that I wanted to talk about was, you know, so I, I had in, as I mentioned earlier, I had this kind of interesting job at um, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank in, in 2017. Really good job. I mean, you know, it, I think it wasn't quite you know, fit for me um, until sort of later transpired that, you know, they had sort of invited me potentially because of who my partner at the time was, which was, was a Chinese national. So I thought that was rather strange, but, um, yeah. you know, it was, an, it was an interesting opportunity. And, you know, but, but essentially what happened was, is that when I got into the bank, I was the 81st member of staff. Um, you know, they also, they asked to hire me as an Israeli because it's sort of like an international organization. So mm. I was, I was more mm. than happy to do that. And I discovered that there was, I was in a very small group of people who'd sort of like missed out on a benefit in the contract. And um, we weren't, you know, like, cause I was like relatively junior. I was sort of like the first rung of the professional positions in the bank. You know, money was, was good. Um, but the other people who were in the situation were, were older than me, but we were all sort of foreign nationals, um, so i.e. I, non, non-Chinese nationals. Um, and we kind of discovered that the bank had for some kind of quirk of, of you know, some advice that they received from, from an HR consultant, or at least that's kind of what, what they said that the reason was. We missed out on quite a sizable benefit of joining the bank, essentially mm. money to sort of cover the cost of moving yourself and and your family out to China. And, you know, we, there were four of us, we got together, we wrote a letter to the HR department and, um, you know, they didn't really react terribly well to that. Um, I'm, I'm sad to say, and, you know, you know, the, the, the lesson that I learned from that was that, um, you know, maybe it's sort of better to, you know, take a, cause I think we, we did it in the right way. You know, I think there was nothing wrong that we did, but it, it would have been wiser, let's say, to do it, um, after sort of becoming more stable at the bank. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, it was, so, you know, by the way, so that each member of staff was given a three-year contract and a one-year probation period. Um, and, um, you know, essentially they didn't pass me through the probation. Um, and, you know, I was sad. And uh, also at the same time, I was kind of separating from my partner. Um, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. So it was just, it was just like a really strange time for me. Like I was actually forced to leave China because I didn't have a job anymore. And I didn't have a, a the person who, you know, I was sort of in the country because of. And so I was literally because of this organization and, and, and my partner who, by the way, I'd been with for seven years uh, and, and was married to, um, you know, I was essentially like kicked out of, of the country. Oh <laughs> um, no. 
yeah no. seriously so you know oh. it was kind of like a big a big setback and hmm. um it took a while to get over it and um hmm. so yeah i mean i guess i learned to sort of like maybe you know how you handle things is is like very important maybe it's good to take a bit of more of a longer uh, term view of things um and also that you know it's it's okay to like have these things that that happen in your life and as long as you learn from it and you emerge stronger which i believe i really have um you know i think it's not a failure it's actually mm. it's kind of a success um because uh i learned a lot from that experience mm. of you know having two enormous um setbacks you know professional and personal and kind mm. of what that can do to a person and their confidence and your mental state as well so you know i was totally lost at that time i was like you know what happened you know it was kind of like you know it was kind of like a bit of a sucker punch basically mm. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see you were able to recover and your framing of it as necessarily a failure, but something you can learn from. And it's definitely easier to say that on the flip side when things have gotten better and improved. Mm -hmm. And I think the trick may be once you're experiencing it in the present moment, how to automatically shift and say, oh, more of a lesson. What can I learn from this? You know, mm -hmm. instead of saying, oh, why does this always happen to me? You presuppose mm -hmm. that this always happens to you. And you're going to want to support that, right? The need to be consistent with your beliefs and identities, and you're not going to break that. So, right. so like you're saying, it's finding a way to use them more as a lesson. Uh, powerful, yeah. yeah. I mean, being able to get out of that. I mean, personal and professional. Usually, it's one or the other, but two at once. Oof, that's tough. But uh, I mean, of course, we know each other well, and yeah, you're definitely crushing it. So you definitely learned <laughs> whatever you needed to learn. Now, you know, aside from my experience with you, with our nice walks around Tel Aviv and our nice mm. uh, lunches, having hummus with some pita, all that stuff. Who would you want to, if you could, with mm. a historical figure, have tea with? Usually we say coffee, but as I had someone else from the UK, I said tea if they'd like. Uh, but whichever one you're with, who would you choose and what would you talk about? Yeah, so... Yeah, you know, there was only one person that came to my mind uh, when I was thinking about this. Um, you know, I suppose for for a uh, you know a graduate of conflict research, I, I should probably say something like you know Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or you know somebody like that. But actually, it's kind of a bit strange. And um, so I'm a huge fan of the Beastie Boys. Um, you know, like uh, I love their music, and you know, I, I recently you know the Beastie Boys book, like audio book, which is an incredible story of how they got going and everything. You know, sadly, um, quite a few years ago, I can't remember the year now, maybe like um, 2007 or maybe 2011, I can't quite remember. Um, so one of the members, that one of the three members of the Beastie Boys died, um, Adam Yauk, uh, who was mm. known as MCA. Um, and... Um, I, yeah, just when I was thinking about this question, you know, the one name came to my mind and that would be MCA. So, you know, he's mm. kind of like just he, he sort of lived this like crazy life where, you know, he was like blew up with the Beastie Boys. But he kind of always stayed very much down to earth. And um, he just he was like the driving force behind the Beastie Boys, who are one of the most um, sort of innovative um, bands of all time. I mean, they span like rock music and hip hop, like not many artists can do like that sort of, uh, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, those two genres and, and whatever sub genres um, and do it well. 
um, and they went, they transitioned from like a rock group to a hip hop group. Um, and they were literally like right there at the, at the uh, inception of, of, of hip hop. And also, so one of the interesting things about, you know, Adam Yauk was that um, he uh, organized a sort of um, uh, Tibetan freedom uh, concert um, and, um, you know, sort of raised a lot of money for, for that cause. So I think mm. that he's kind of like a, a great example of, you know, somebody who just sort of like did things, you know, just achieved a lot in his life. And so if I could sit down with him for a cup of tea or coffee, I mean, that would be pretty special mm. for me. Amazing, man. Yeah, it seems it holds a very special place. And I remember you sharing how much you liked their music. And yeah, I mean, the, the impact. And what was his age before he passed or when he passed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, we're talking that's about nice. like thir- 30s or you know, maybe... He was in his 30s? Uh, maybe like late 30s or 40s. I can't quite oh, remember. Oh, super young. Man. Wow. Yeah, yeah, really. Wow, young. super young. Um, yeah. Because yeah. they, yeah, well, yeah. they were like tw- 20 years old and like the in like, let's say the late, 80s oh no so, so they're older than he was he's probably his 50s then oh okay yeah maybe like late maybe. 40s or something i can't yeah. remember but a, um, yeah if anybody would is interested in this like check out the beastie boys last ever performance together at bonnaroo festival um it is absolutely incredible mm. i'm gonna add a link to that on the bottom i should let me just make a note um uh, so yeah so you're saying it was uh bonnaroo yeah that's right yeah that was their last performance together and you could just tell that they they were just literally they were just hitting their peak and in terms of like their creativity i mean sure like they made a a huge number of incredible albums but in terms of like performance like that was just Mm. fantastic yeah no i mean that's uh for them to be able to be together transcend different genres of music uh yeah man wish you had that chance um wish you had that chance Mm. with with uh you know so much learning that you've been able to do and having all these different music musical influences and you know books and movies what would you recommend for yourself that's had uh, not just impact on you but that you really that resonate with you or that you would really want other people to check out so with mm. the book or movie or podcast could be three of one could be one of each could be mm. two of one just as you like to to go about it yeah. Okay. So in terms, so I can do one of each. Yeah. I could do, like yeah, that. You can do one of each if you want to do, I mean, really, you could do three of each, just I mean, more so <laughs> we're trying to have it in there, I think, because I, I know you have some great suggestions. Just trying to keep so, it, keep it at that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So in terms of uh, books, um, you know, <clears throat> in the you know UK school curriculum, we read 1984 um, mm. by George Orwell. Um, and you know, that had a big impact on me when I was growing up, um, you know, just sort of, you know, that, that kind of, uh, really interesting story of like this, this, the world at war with itself and, you know, people sort of like, you know, informing on their neighbors and, and, you know, uh, government sort of, you know, propaganda and, and things like that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the book was written in 1948, and it's kind of, he, he just flipped the, the years uh, in the title. So mm. to, to think that mm. that book was written then, uh, and then sort of like, because that was like right at the end of the Second World War, right? I mean, not, not long after. And so to kind of 
you know, he was just obviously just a complete visionary. Um, and so that book had a big impact on me. And actually, I think George, George Orwell lived at one stage on Hampstead Heath, which is kind of a very special you know, place for me. I, I used to do my school sports days on, on Hampstead Heath and go for like treasure hunts when I was even younger than that. So I, I, I recently discovered, I think there's, you know, just walking by, there's a plaque with, you know, George Orwell's name on it. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's just sort of part of the, the London, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, history. Yeah. Um, you know, so many people, uh, you know, c- came from this city and, and did amazing things. But anyway, that that book, I think, is just really interesting. It's like mm. it's just it's crazy how far ahead of its time it is. Um, other half books, a century, I mean, it seems. Yeah. I mean, written in 48 and then yeah, just, and remarkable. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that to people. Other books, um, you know, recently I was reading. um uh, Rutger Bregman, who's a Dutch historian. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So I get so excited. Really. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he's, he's just, he just has a great way, I think, as many Dutch people do, of just cutting through stuff and explaining things in a really engaging way. Um, so, so that, that was a good um, read. Wait, so it's Rutger Bregman, uh, which book, the newest one he has? Human no, actually, no, the, I think I haven't read that one yet, but um, no, oh, Utopia, Utopia for Realists. Yeah, yeah I'll put that's that good. down. Yeah, I actually yeah. have them here in my library. Uh, yeah, no, can't recommend it enough. I mean, dude, I think Humankind is even better. I mean, oh, he okay. really, because what he does is he tackles a lot of the notions of the Hobbesian approach to life, right? That it, uh, that in nature we're uh, brutish, uh, selfish, and it's all, it's all short. And a lot of the psychological experiments, I think it's from the 70s with uh, the uh, Philip Zimbardo, um, Stanford Prison, which may be the same one, uh, the Kitty Genevieve, and actually a lot of things we learned in our master's program. So he tackles these quite popular uh, psychological uh, experiments and actually goes through and sort of works, not just debunking them, but also explaining how they actually broke through the mold and got the most notoriety. And how mm. what we believe during these studies it permeates now, and we really mm. let that control the narrative of our society. Because if you think everyone's selfish, how are you likely to act? You know, if yeah. we think everyone's selfish, what kind of government do we have? Right. All these things. And I mean, powerful, powerful. So, yeah, I mean, you're right with him being an incredible author. Just mm. really want to make that plug. Uh, Humankind, yeah. a hopeful history. Such okay. a good, such a good. Okay. Book. Yeah, it's definitely. Right. It's definitely on the list. And, you yeah. know, I need to get around to that quickly. Um, and then, you know, like, um, I I think, um, you know, Yuval Noah Harari is very oh. interesting. Um, I actually met him in person. When no. In, yeah, seriously. I, I have Whoa. a photo with him. Right. I need to, what? You have a picture? Yeah, I need to, no, I need this, to send that no, to no, no. <laughs> You have to send me this. Now, I'm so jealous of you. I'm so, 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 so I, I was actually lucky. So I, I was, um, my partner at the time was translating for a Chinese group that came over to have a lecture from him. And so I was able to sit in on the lecture, which was just fascinating. Um, you know, he was talking about like, you know, what's going to happen with like um, automation and, and, and you know, unemployment. And, and um, it was just brilliant to listen to him. So um, I actually, I haven't, you know, I've only read um, Sapiens. I haven't read the other the books but uh you know i thought it was just a great a great sort of way of you know encapsulating like 
you know why you know we think we're special as as human mm. beings and and how we came to rule this planet and there's a lot of like good sort of um food for thought in there so yeah definitely Yuval um, Noah Harari um man i i love your recommendations Elon. And, i mean <laughs> i'm a massive Yuval Noah Harari fan i i've read all his books like oh, okay. i've read sapiens i think at this point three times Homo oh, Deus wow. twice, and then the the, his most recent one, the 21 Lessons, I actually read that once and a half. Uh, that okay. one was the least, I guess, advancing because the other two were just powerful, powerful, powerful books. Right. And I, I want to make a little plug for you. That okay. Because you do like these two authors. If you Google uh, Rucker Bregman and Yuval Harari in discussion, it's the mm. two of them having a conversation about hum uh, humanity, the hi history, the future. And wow. there's a moderator in there. And man, when I saw that, I, I mean, my, my jaw dropped because I just thought, right. oh my gosh, two of my favorite thinkers going. I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm going to check gonna that out. I'm going to add it here. Yeah. It's about an hour and 15 and okay. it's, it's quite different because Rucker, I think is 31 or 32. You've always right. 45 and different backgrounds, but yeah, they're, they're incredible thinkers, man. They're yeah. so great. So right. great. Yeah. Absolutely. Great recommendations, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of movies or films, as we would call them in this part of the world. Um, <laughs> so let's or movies. see. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I love, um, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I, I'm mm. a big sci-fi fan. Um, that was pretty much like the only film I ever watched where after I watched it, I just had to get on the internet to figure out. And this, I watched it, you know, probably like, you know, 20 years ago or something. So you know, the internet was kind of slow back then. But I just, I just rushed to the internet. I was just like, I need to know the meaning behind this film. <laughs> um, oh, man. And, and, right. And and what I learned actually um, uh, from from this um, uh is that the the uh you know the director and the and the uh, and the the script writer um uh, i can't um who is it directed by i can't remember um it's 2001 space odyssey um i can't remember the name now my mind has gone blank um but yeah mm. so so it was written by like a sci-fi writer who's very famous and then directed by this guy who's also super famous um but anyway the uh, interesting Clark? are you thinking about Clark? yes arthur c clark wrote yes. it and yeah. who was who was the director he also did like clockwork orange and Ice oh White um Shaker. yeah shoot oh man um, <laughs> oh man uh, we'll find it okay. later yeah. um so they actually disagreed on the hmm. meaning of the film which i think is just a really interesting thing like they had really different visions of what the film was about um so i think you know like one of them thought it was about like machines taking over and the other one like you know wanted it to be about like corporatism and you know because there's you can see there's some sort of there's some advertising for like IBM in there. And mm. um, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You kind of like, if you go away and read about it and then watch it back, it's a, it's a pretty powerful movie. I think it was made in like 1968 or, or something. So again, it was like mm. way, way ahead of its time. Is that, so that I mean, yeah. Good question, Elon. Uh, just so I remember correctly, the beginning is the, maybe I'm thinking about something different, but the beginning, there's like the, what do, they, what do you call it? Like the, the monolithic uh, stone? Yes. That's yes. How, yeah, man, that, that's that's a movie. Or that is yes. a film. That's that's a film and a half. Yeah. Yeah, powerful. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I love like Blade Runner, you know, the original. 
um uh, it's also a fantastic film um you know kind of like film noir uh you know mm. set in the future um you know kind of looking at you know the these these this these uh, humanoids called replicants which essentially are you know artificial humans that are built to you know do various tasks and they're implanted with with memories it's actually based on a book um called do androids dream of electric sheep which Wow. I'm not sure I've ever read it actually, but it's 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 it, I've put it on my list um, quite recently because I'm like I love Blade Runner, so I need to read this book. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like really one of my favorites. I'm also a big Star Wars fan, but you know it's kind of like it's kind of I think lost its way a little bit. Maybe it kind of rescued it in more recent years, but um, yeah, it's uh, the whole Star Wars like universe, and I'm a bit of a, a a kind of a bit of a nerd when it comes to you know like films and and stuff like I like kind of things that other people think are quite sad <laughs> oh, people think are sad uh like most of that are more maybe uh existential you're saying or um yeah it's in like is in like it's kind of very nerdy to, to like oh okay. kind of like star wars and star trek and oh what's to this man you're you're not alone because i really love your uh, well i mean your books are just yeah i mean i can't vouch enough for them films as well yeah i mean you have good taste i'm biased but <laughs> I, don't, I don't think many people would agree would disagree with that I think you'd actually be in, in good shape. Wonderful, right. man. With, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so just, um, okay, uh, on podcasts, I think, sure. yeah, I, I tend not to listen to too many podcasts these days, but um, ch- people should check out BBC Witness. It's like, they're mm. like sort of seven, eight minute, like little bite-sized stories about important things that had in history, uh, happened in history. And, you know, you can learn a hell of a lot about the world from just kind of running through like BBC Witness podcasts. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that would be the podcast I would recommend excellent yeah. excellent yeah yeah bbc witness and they have like stories and uh di- sort of uh, encapsulate different dynamics of life and aspects just historical events like you mm. know the assassination of john f kennedy you know what's crazy uh, before you even said that i was thinking in my mind just after i said it, examples and then you said oh really uh, okay that, 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 i mean maybe that goes to show how much of an event that really was right um, but also like you said go back in history i'm thinking ah jfk because yeah i mean think about it's such a significant event, but what what about the nuances, the different perspectives? Mm. I mean, I'm sure they probably get some information from people who were actually there or That's still right. living. And yeah, That's that gives right. you such That's a different right. lens to look through it. Wow. Yeah. And actually, you know, that was, a, you know, probably a very obvious example, but there's there's tons of really mm. kind of like much more, um, you know, how would you say like... Um, you know, sort of less uh, less well known events in history that uh, you know that, mm. that people should probably know about. <laughs> uh, people overlook. I mean, there's one that I'd like to just make a quick plug for. It's actually how oh, I don't know if it's really an event, but it's more the origins of uh, Bluetooth, right? How we got the the term Bluetooth. Mm. So it's actually from a Norwegian king, right? Uh, yeah, from I think the 11th century, 12th century, something like that, around that time, and he actually reunited. Uh, like the two kingdoms right. and his name was Harold Bluetooth but mm-hmm. literally it was his last name and what they did to make the symbol is in the Nordic alphabet they mm. got the letter H and B and then combined them and then that makes the symbol for for Bluetooth right. yeah not a lot of people know that man and uh, <laughs> I always find that a little bit of information because we, we all use it it's on our phone you can just look at it you're like oh Bluetooth right there I know. we should all thank uh, Harold for you, uh, uniting the kingdoms 
In, in, that's, indeed, indeed. That's, yeah, that's it's, fascinating. It's, it's quite nice. Yeah, I mean, the, and I did the research, so it's not just a fairy tale. It's like the person who had designed the concept of Bluetooth, they were uh, discussing, I think, two avenues to go about it, but then they decided to pick that story to mm. have the name. Right. And Interesting. Great, uh, yeah, great recommendations, man. Mm. I'm excited. I hope other people read out for sure the books because, man, your mind will expand and you are going to get history lessons and yeah, great recommendations. Uh, <laughs> Elon, man, what's uh, what's next, man? What's going on? What's, what's happening next in the life of, of Elon Bass? So, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I started this new job, which seems great so far. I'm one month in, um, you know, certainly nice to have a salary again after two years. Um, mm. You know, so it's good to, you know, be able to buy things. <laughs> oh, um, but um, yeah, I'm back in the UK after like 13 years. So just kind of reconnecting with society and with, you know, family and friends and, you know, British culture. And I think the UK is kind of going through an interesting time right now with, mm. you know, having sort of on the back of like Brexit and COVID and, you know, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So um, it's a, uh, it's 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 an interesting time to be here so uh, you know i feel that i mean i've come back you know at a good time and i'm really going to throw myself into this job i think there's big potential here especially in terms of you know sort of doing this kind of work like mentoring senior executives you know in the uk and in, in asia wherever um you know growing the business and i think that it's 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 a great challenge i mean i think there's a lot of crossovers with the mediator skill set you know about building trust and building rapport and mm. asking the right questions and facilitating dialogues and and it, i think it's also a great sort of um uh, vote of confidence in in me um that, that this very serious company that's growing very quickly and only has a team of about i think five or six relationship managers that i'm now in you know we're very autonomous i mean there's a high level level of autonomy where you just you know you're left to you know make sure that your members you know feel like they're taken care of and these are people who are like running very big and prominent you know companies and have mm -hmm. serious challenges in, in their life so the ability mm -hmm. to sort of like be able to get access to those people and potentially also influence them um is uh, is a really interesting prospect um so you know i'm gonna see how this job goes um and um you know, I want to, you know, continue to do, you know, my mediation in the community or, or elsewhere. Um, what I'm kind of working on right now is I've, I've just set up uh, a company um, which is called Orchid Mediation. So it's like, mm. you know, my own me yep. mediation company. And I want to focus it on cross-cultural disputes. Um, so not from a legal standpoint, not from a psychological standpoint, but from a standpoint of sort of like understanding like how people sort of, you know, uh, think and, um, okay, maybe it is, you know, psychological, but think, <laughs> uh, yeah. think and behave and uh, act in, in conflict situations based mm. on like, you know, what they're, their sort of you know their various aspects of their culture are, and maybe also their identity as well um so you know and 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 so i'm actually enrolled in a advanced level chinese course at the london school of economics right now it's a five-month course it's taught online so i signed up for that before i got this job of course so i've literally become very busy in the last few weeks um you know even kind of you know busier than I was, uh, which was very because I was like trying to make something happen, you know, in the on the on the job front. Um, but 
yeah, I think really what I'm going to try and do is I want to be able to do mediation in the Mandarin language um, oh. between between oh. Chinese people. So that's oh. hopefully where I'm headed. And I think, you know, it might prove useful because we can see there's, you know, we, we don't really understand China and Chinese culture. Mm. And there's lots of issues, you know, of course, like the US-China trade war and political situations going on that, that China is, is playing a role in. And so I think we need more people to be you know, sort of culturally fluent in in Chinese uh, culture and history and politics and and certainly language, of course, right? So um, hopefully, I can contribute in a small way to sort of like trying to build a li a little bit more understanding in in you know with that part of the world. Um, and you know, and with of course always the end goal of you know resolving conflicts and just trying to bring a little bit more peace um into this world so yeah i think that's what's next for me you know i'm kind of getting into the job and i'm really you know i'm psyched to be back in london it's my hometown it's changed a lot since i've been gone but um uh some things are still the same and uh yeah like um i'll probably just you know carry on living in brighton and doing a commute like maybe once or twice a week into london it's only an hour on the train um and you know it's nice in brighton because you're by the sea um and my sister is here of course um so yeah that's going to be my life for the foreseeable future I'm excited to see where it goes and how it moves on. I mean, there's a lot coming. There's a lot coming in. A lot coming in. Where do um where where can people find you, your work, uh, Orchard Mediation? If you want to get in contact with you or just get a sample for what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm very happy to be contacted uh, in a number of different ways. I mean, um, the website's not ready yet. I mean, I've kind of put that a little bit on the back burner. I you know, um, but. Uh, LinkedIn, you can get me on LinkedIn. I mean, I can, you know, obviously give you the link to my profile. Um, email um, is okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I mostly I connect with people on LinkedIn and, mm. you know, set up a call and, and go from there. Oh, beautifully well said. Uh, yeah, we'll put everything on the bottom. You send it. So, and, and I'll gra gather it as well. Um, so, last couple parts, man. The section I like, it's the gratitude section. Uh, just really when you were talking about what's next, uh, just so exciting that you're finding ways to be that mediator, build that, that bridge, connect the gap, and to even to go and try to learn another language to help mediate in that language. I mean, that's that's a whole new level, man. That's that's incredible. So I'm uh, just amazed by that, your desire for hunger, knowledge, and doing what you can to connect with others as well as finding the outlets that are healthy for yourself. Because a lot of the times what I noticed is we all have outlets, the hobbies, but they're not always conducive to a prosperous life. Um, mm -hmm. But for yourself, you really take the initiative. And also for inviting me on walks with you and uh, bike rides the, uh, mm -hmm. during our time in Tel Aviv. I just thank you, man, for that. It's, it was mm -hmm. it's incredible, great memories. And whenever we're back in Israel together, we got to get to that place in... Jaffa was it that we went on that second time? Not not on Dizengoff, but okay, was, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was closer to the coast. And, well, well, you know, we know what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, indeed, yeah. No, I mean, they're great times, and you know, so so glad I had the opportunity to meet you uh, mm. out there. And um, yeah, I look forward to staying in touch. So I'm very grateful to you, Bruce, for inviting me on. Um, man. You know, Absolutely. it's great to great to see you doing this these kinds of initiatives, podcasts, mm. and everything. So yeah, mm. super excited to see uh, what you're going to do next as well.
Thank you, man. And we, we will be in more communication. And really, we just like to leave off for sure um, with this last section, the nugget of wisdom mm -hmm. to elevate like Zeus and the story of Zeus, as we know, with his, his parents, Cronus wants to get rid of him because Saul's potential and Saul as a threat. Uh, his mother, Rhea, saves him, replaces Zeus with a stone before Cronus eats Zeus. Zeus, I believe, is with the common people and has to really start back at the bottom and work his way up and then ends up becoming the god of uh, god of Olympus and freeing his siblings. So the analogy there is really what nugget of wisdom would you be able to give for someone who may be in a similar position as, let's say, baby Zeus, not in the sense of about to be eaten, but more struggling in a place and what they can do or what you can share with them to think about that can help get them to that, to that place of improvement and quality of life. Um, so I would say that um, like humility and being humble is, is, is really underrated um, in, in this world. I think, you know, having, being humble, you know, sort of accepting that, you know, uh, you can learn from every single person that you come across on this planet, like whatever, you know, the successes, the failures, probably, you know, more so the failures, if you want to call them that, they're just learning opportunities. So always be humble and, you know, just be, you know, treat people with kindness. And that I think will get you very far in, in this world. Um, and sure, you will come, you know, across people who, who won't be that way to you. And that will immediately kind of like affect your emotional state and, and drag you down. But if you always come back to that point of, you know, there must be some kind of reason, like, you know, being just staying humble and, 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 and treating people with kindness, I think, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's the way to go. Beautiful, man. Well said. And definitely that is applicable to most of us and definitely can be utilized and in increasing and elevating like Mr. Zeus. As always. <laughs> thank you, man. Guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up there. Elon, thank you for your time, my friend. What an absolute pleasure. And guys, thanks for listening. Um, hope you enjoy this one. And until next time. All righty. Bye bye. Thanks everyone. a lot, Bruce. Yes. No worries. Elon, take care, my man. Bye -bye. You too. Bye. Bye.